Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 4 through 10. We continue to make our way through the book of Ephesians, looking at the basic elements that make up the Christian faith. We call it basic Christianity. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pick up the reading in verse 4. Hear now the word of the true and living God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Living God, we pray that you bring your word to life within our hearts and our minds this morning, that having seen the good and glorious things contained within it, we would seek to live for you in all that we do. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, such a rich text, and we began to unpack it last week. Verses 1 through 3, we saw the reality of our past condition. Paul walks us through, I called it the carnival of filth, the carnival of disgust of our former lives in which we once lived. We, he includes himself in that, because the reality is we are all sinners that are in need of salvation from God. Uh, no one is above reproach. And so, uh, having laid out our past condition, and it was bleak, it is just a dark dark place our past was. Verse 4 began, but God. And now we see the revelation of God's grace, and also not just His grace, but we also talked about His mercy, His love, His kindness, that He has a good will, a good intention for us, for His people, and that He lavishes that upon us. I did just want to reemphasize here that this is the work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is God's work. And this is emphasized in the fact that verse 5, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead. All we, contributed, all we contribute to this situation is death and sin and trespasses and all that. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. Made us alive with Christ. All, uh, made us alive with is all one word in the original Seems like Paul coined this term and the other uh, terms that follow after this in order to emphasize the, the union that we have with Christ, but also to stress the work of God in this. God is the one who made us alive. You don't make yourself alive. You don't cause spiritual resurrection upon yourself. You are like Lazarus in the tomb, and Christ, he utters forth the command, Lazarus, come forth, and so also he does with each one of us. Nick, come forth. Paula, come forth. Buddy, come forth, and he speaks his word, and through his word brings new life. Lazarus raised from the dead 
by the command of Christ. Each one of us raised from the dead by the command of Christ. And we have this new spiritual life. This is the doctrine of, big Bible word, regeneration. God brings new spiritual life to a dead sinner. In the words of Ezekiel, the prophet, chapter 36, he takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And again, it's God who does the heart operation. We needed that heart operation, otherwise we remain dead in our trespasses and sins. So that's the first action here of God is he brings new spiritual life, and he does it again because of his grace, mercy, love, and kindness toward us. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 6, he raised us up with him, that is, with Christ. It's very interesting. This is um, resurrection language as well. But uh, one commentator put it this way, it this is not just new life, but this is a new disposition. Uh, now, since we've been raised up with Christ, now we have a new outlook on life. Now we begin to see things in a different way. Now we have a completely different worldview, if you will. Uh, we have been raised up with him, and, and now we don't look at things the same way. That carnival of disgust, that carnival of filth that we once lived in, and we loved it, we look at that and we're like, oh, man, what was I thinking? That's right. We were out of our mind because of sin. No longer. We don't look at those things anymore. Now the Spirit is at work within us producing new desires and new affections. He's at work producing His fruit within us, the Spirit is. Uh, and that would be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, uh, as Paul enumerates those in Galatians chapter 5, uh, 22, 23, uh, right around there. And so that's the, the raised us up with him. This is the, the living out the new life. And Paul is going to be very specific about the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in when we get to chapter, uh, when we get to verse 10 of this chapter. So made us alive together with, raised us up with Christ, and then seated us with him. Very interesting what happened to Christ Back in 1 and verse 20, where he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, we also have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So what happened to Christ happens to us also. We are joined to him so that it, where he is, we're with him. Uh, and this points to, uh, again, our uh, the, the spiritual reality uh, of our new life. The... Uh, heavenly places, that's a spiritual realm. And, and what a good thought it is to think, you know, we're, we're in this world, and yet we are surrounded by a very real spiritual realm around us. And there are very powerful opponents, these rulers, authorities, principalities, and all this that, that we talked about when we looked at the end of chapter 1. And, and those, are, those spiritual bad guys are out to get us. They are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of the church. And they would love nothing more than to bring spiritual death back into our lives. But because of what God has done, we have been seated with Christ, and he is far above all of that. Uh, now we are in a position where we have spiritual protection from God. doesn't mean the war is over. Again, we'll, we'll look at chapter 6 when we get there, verses 10 and following. The war is still going on. But now that we are seated with Christ and we are united with Christ, now we have his spiritual protection. That although the devil and all the forces may still come against us, 
they cannot threaten us uh, with that death like they once did before. And so we've been seated with him in the heavenly places so that, here's the purpose, it's so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we talked about just how the, you can't put a figure on this. You can't put a number on the, the greatness, the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness toward us. But the purpose is, um, well, God's showing out. And he's showing off just how gracious he is. You see, I know when we look at the work of salvation that God does in Christ, you know, we, we marvel and we wonder about, you know, what, why me? And, and why not others? And the wonder of grace ought to be that God is gracious to anybody. We, th- where we started, verses 1 through 3, we're, we're with the rest, right? That Paul even uses that. Like the rest of mankind, we were children of wrath. That God would be gracious to anybody. That ought to just blow our minds. And we ought to marvel and wonder at that. And yet, it is God showing. He wanted to show. He wanted to demonstrate, put on display the immeasurable riches of His grace, uh, of His grace and kindness to, to, uh, in the coming ages. Something along those lines, right? In the coming ages. And it could be talking about uh, church history. I mean, all throughout the ages of church history, we see God has had His people. And so He's, he's putting on display His grace in saving people all throughout church history, even us today. We currently are a trophy of God's grace, if you will. But also, in the coming ages, could point to the future in heaven after the resurrection. That in that coming age, God's still going to be putting on display the marvels and the wonders of His grace. And it's no wonder that the picture of heaven is one where... People are worshiping God as creator and as redeemer. And that we will join with that heavenly chorus. We won't get bored, by the way. I know people think about, get this idea of heaven in their mind about sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. That's, that seems boring to me. You won't be bored there, trust me. And, and you'll be glad that you are there uh, with all of heaven. And so God, yeah, he, man, he's, he was so merciful, so gracious to these Christians in Ephesus. And he continues to do it today he'll do it tomorrow and on until the end of time and so this is the revelation of god's grace he is announcing to uh, all the earth he's announcing to all the universe including the spiritual realm of just how gracious he is and that will culminate one day when he glorifies his people now with all the reality of our past condition the revelation of god's grace and now verses 8 through 10 we see the response by his people to God's amazing grace. Paul repeats what he has already said back in verse 5. By grace you've been saved. Here he says, for, this is explanatory, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So he inserts here uh, uh, the first response of God's people, which is faith. Saved by grace. Through faith. And the, the structure here is, is exactly the same as it was in verse 5. What is in view here 
is the fact that you have been saved, you are being saved, and God will continue to save you. Salvation, again, the way this is structured, it's, it's all God's work. You don't save yourself. Kind of like a, like a hamster in a cage, right? And, and that hamster somehow gets the idea, I want to be out of this cage. So what does he do? He gets on his little wheel there, and he starts running and running, right? But after a while, he starts looking around. He's like, I'm still in the cage. And so he starts running and running faster and faster, right? He does this for a long time, and then he looks around, and he's like, I'm still in the cage. He's never going to get out as long as he's on that, the wheel of works, as it were. What he needs is for God to reach down, or for his donor to reach down and pull him out, and that's what God does for us. We're caught on the wheel of works thinking somehow we can earn our way to heaven or work our way to heaven. You can't do it. Say there are three guys. They're the best swimmers on the planet. Right? You got Michael Phelps and I don't know who the Australian guy is, right? Ian Thorpe or something. I don't know. Whoever they are, you get all the, the fastest swimmers on the planet. You get three of them. Of all the swimmers, three of them. And you put them on the, the, the shore of the Pacific Ocean. You say, Hawaii's out that way. Start swimming. Now, one of them's probably going to swim farther than the others, right? I'm going to tell you right now, they're not making it. They're drowning. And again, that's, that's how people think, a lot of people think about how you get to God. You can get on the wheel of works and, and get your way there. You can, you can swim somehow. You, but the reality is you cannot do it. You don't have the resources to earn your way into God's good grace. And in fact... If you somehow earned grace, guess what? It's not grace anymore. Not by your own doing. Not a result of works, and whether you want to talk about the works that are related to the law or any works that any human being could try and do, net, net, not of works. Can't do it. Saved by grace through faith. And that... And there's a lot of debate about that. What does that refer to? Or this and this. And I know there's a lot of discussion about this being a, uh, a neuter pronoun. And uh, so it, it can't refer to, to faith because that's a feminine noun. And but by the way, if that's, if that's the argument, then it can't refer to grace either because grace is also a feminine noun in this context. And uh, saved, uh, that's a verb. So what is this? And this is a common way of writing in the original language. This summarizes what came before it, the whole phrase before it. Salvation by grace through faith, this is not of your own doing. This whole thing related to salvation by grace through faith. Salvation is of the Lord. Grace is of the Lord. Faith granted by the Lord that we receive. Philippians 1, verse 29, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. All of it is from God. This is not by your own doing. It's the gift of God. What a glorious gift it is, right? gift that God gives of salvation by grace through faith. Now make no mistake, it is the case that we are 
active in our faith. And we're going to see that now that we believe, verse 10 is going to show we, we've got work to do. But suffice it to say, again, salvation is of the Lord. And so also salvation by grace through faith is of God. It is His gift to us. And we need only marvel and give thanks that God really is this gracious, that He would gift us this amazing gift. This is not of your own doing. It is not a result of works. And why is that the case? So that no one may boast. You don't get to pop your collar, puff out your chest and say, look what I did. It is all of God. If anyone gets to boast, it's God. Not us. Not us. We we are now grateful, we are thankful for what, for, for, for what God has done. And not a result of works, let's just drill that down, tamp it down just a bit further. You know, let's say you wanted to make yourself some breakfast, so you're going to fry yourself an egg, right? And you go to the refrigerator and you get the egg and you crack that thing open, put it in the frying pan. And as soon as it drops down to the frying pan, you realize that thing's rotten. You can see it. You can smell it. It's a rotten egg. Ugh. So what do you do? There is no way that you can cover up the rottenness of that egg by, say, adding in another five eggs, right? No, just cover this up with some, some more eggs, right? Because w what happens? It's, it's, it's contaminated, right? It's not that the goodness of those other eggs somehow makes the one bad egg good. It's that that one bad egg is going to infect all the other good eggs. That's our works before God. Our, our good works are contaminated with the rottenness of sin. Don't take my word for it. Isaiah the prophet, he's the one who says in 64 verse 6 of the book of Isaiah, that our good deeds are nothing more than polluted garments, filthy rags. It's a very graphic picture of our good works before a holy, perfect, sinless God. We're contaminated because of sin. That's why there's not enough good works you can do in this world to somehow balance things out, to somehow earn your way to heaven. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people that think that way today. That think, if you're a good person, God's going to overlook all the bad stuff and take you to heaven. You just got to balance out the scale. By the way, this is where our Muslim friends live. It's, it's a works-oriented religion. And if you have enough good works to balance out the bad works at the end, Allah will give you paradise and all the stuff that goes along with that. Sad thing is, many, many Christians even think that way. I would dare say even some within our own fellowship, brothers and sisters, God forbid that we ever think that we can somehow do enough good and God's going to overlook all the bad. Now, we're going to see here, and it's not now all the income free, do whatever you want. There's still good works that we do, but we do not do them in, so, in order to somehow merit or earn our salvation. We don't 
engage in good works to be saved. We're saved in order to engage in good works. We have been saved by God to serve Him through the good works that we do and that He's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Now, this, this heresy of good works somehow earn our way to heaven simply will not do. Salvation by grace through faith is not of works. The other side of this coin is the I'm basically a good person. And because I'm basically a good person, again, God's going to somehow overlook all my bad stuff or he somehow owes me heaven because I'm basically a good person. Hear the words of Christ, please. No one is good but God. No one is. Jesus says this, Mark chapter 10. Verse 18, no one is good except God alone. Paul, picking up on the word of his master, quoting from Scripture, no one does good, no, not one. So according to God's word, no one is basically a good person, and no one is able to do enough good works to somehow merit salvation. We're polluted garments. We're sinners. By nature, children of wrath. That must be your starting point. That's Paul's starting point back in verses 1 through 3. That's where we started. And now we see just how good the good news is. The good news of God's grace. That God really is that gracious. That he would save me by grace through faith. And so... Because he's so good to us, because he's been gracious and merciful and loving and kind to us, we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece that he puts on display for all of the universe to see. We are those trophies of grace. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Notice this. It's God who does the creation here. Creation is God's work, not our work. Again, you don't create or recreate yourself. God does it in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's where the good works are made. Because we have been saved by grace through faith and because we are God's masterpiece, now we have been prepared for these good works that God prepared beforehand. And that gives us a glimpse back. Remember this? Several weeks ago, we had the window into eternity past that we look into. And here we see, beforehand, God prepared all that for us right here. Where we live and move and have our being, He prepared our good works that we should walk in them. Before the foundation of the world, it was determined that all of us, saved by grace through faith, would perform these good works for God. Good not because, again, of anything inherent in us, but good because of Christ. That's the... That's the filter. That's the lens through which God sees us. He sees us through Christ, and he sees all of the righteousness that Christ accomplished in his perfect, sinless life. And since we are clothed in Christ and we have put Christ on, when we see those good works, even though they're done by us creatures of the flesh who still battle against the world of flesh and the devil, and we still come up short, when we engage in those good works, God sees Christ, not us. This is the Christian walk. Paul's going to circle back to this walk when we get to chapter 4. A a worthy walk, he'll talk about. 
And, and again, he's going to get very specific in, in the latter half of this book. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are intensely practical. And we're going to see that based upon the foundation of all these basics that we've been laying down in these first two chapters, here's the foundation, and now we start building the, the normal Christian life. It, it has to be firmly rooted on the right, firm foundation of what God has done in Christ and by His Spirit on our behalf. This walk, that we should walk in them, this shows us that this is not, well, you know, saved by grace and so all the, all the income free, I'll, I get to do whatever I want. No, now that you're saved, you have this walk that's set before you, this path. You have the footprints of Jesus that we are exhorted to walk in that path. This shows us that while we have been set free by Christ, it is not free to do whatever you want. It's free to be all that God would have you to be based on the fact that you are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. And so here are some voices from the past. He who is not holy in his life is not saved by, gra by the grace of Christ. Wow. If we are not living a life of good works, we have no reason to believe that we have been saved by grace. Boast not of Christ's work for you unless you can show the Spirit's work in you. We cannot claim to be saved while refusing to serve the God who saved us. We truly are God's masterpiece. Me? I know what I've done. What I, what I did in the past. I know how I've broken the heart of God. Like the rest of mankind. But God, in Christ, made us alive. And now, out of that new spiritual life, we have a new motivation for living. The grace of God. We have a, a new means for that life. It is through faith. We have new works are set before us, no longer the polluted works, no matter how good they may have been, but now the good works that God has prepared beforehand in Christ Jesus, that by the way, we engage in and that we pursue with all the strength that he provides. You get chapter 3, he's going to talk about that strength in the inner being by uh, the Spirit within us. All of it is of God. And so, let's praise him in prayer. Gracious Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. And yet you have been so good and so kind to us. We pray, Father, that we would honor you with our lives, that we would walk in those good works you've set before us that we would show that indeed we have been saved by your grace through faith by serving you with all of the strength that you provide in us by your spirit. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.